the outcast is not the outcast anymore. It, at this moment, there's people who get tattoos who should not get tattooed at all. What is missing at this moment is very often that getting a tattoo is not an adventure anymore. It used to be an adventure. I mean, people said, how many murders you know? Oh, maybe 20. Who else knows 20 people who murdered somebody? Only in this profession. And you know what? So sit still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't take it from anybody else. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. Hanky Panky, Hank, yes. welcome to Tattoo Tales. Well, formerly known as Hanky Panky, yeah, you Hank. call that. <laughs> the old shop is still called Hanky Panky, but I have no, no, nothing to do with the with, with the old uh, uh, shop. I I work out of a new situation with a couple of people. I I trained uh, um, myself and um, Tico Feltun and uh, and my daughter and, and, and it's a little yep. family shop. Family we have an Italian too, Massimo. Okay, <laughs> lots of Italians. Here, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Oh, there's a lot of fucking Italians. Like, actually, it's it's also because like. Uh, but it, Italy didn't have tattooing until like uh, halfway or end of the 80s. Uh, uh, there was an old law, which was uh, which was old. You see, like when you look at the history of the world, wherever there is dictators, there is laws against tattooing. Because tattooing is for the individual and dictators don't like individuals. Freedom of expression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the freedom of expression is an interesting point because like we have freedom of expression in the Dutch law and, 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 and a while ago they refused to pop a couple of people at a job for a tattoo and I jumped in this thing and said like here is something wrong. Recently. Yeah, yeah because there's freedom of, ex, ex, uh, freedom of expression and the freedom of, of expression doesn't mean that the, that is freedom of speaking, you know, it is the way people can do and like uh, and tattooing being a non-verbal way of communication if you if you uh, say that it's not possible then then you are uh, uh, fucking with the basic laws of, of democracy of, yeah. of and and like the, the 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 university of maastricht jumped in there and and investigated that whole thing and they say i'm damn right <laughs> so i won. knew this shit I mean, but it's like Difficult because, like, very often tattooing was the way to communicate for people who were not really like verbally the best in communication and also not emotionally the best in communication. You know, like, it was the the the, the language of of the thieves of the of the pirates of well, subversive. The, yeah, of subversive people, uh, and, and you see it also was also very popular among early communists. And 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 working we're working class. We yeah. we always been. It was the poor man's jewelry, and we were the poor man's Rembrandt. Awesome. And so so. Awesome. And the Italians, yeah, they would come to Amsterdam and get tattooed. Swiss had no uh, was forbidden to tattoo, so Swiss people would come very often here. 
And I remember like then, and when, when it broke open a little bit, I think it was Marco Pisa who opened a, who, who did a, a, a tattoo club. You had to become a member of the Italian tattoo club first before you would be able to get tattooed. Yeah. So he found a little loophole uh, there. And Marco would come and work in Amsterdam with me in, 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 in what we would call Italian days. And that was often August when there was an Italian vacation. And a shitload of these young kids would like come to Amsterdam and get tattooed. And they all wanted something small. They still do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Please, Anki Panki. Pupiclo, pupiclo. <laughs> so I had to make something yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, we would say, like, we would develop our own I- 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 Italian talk. Sit still. And then they would sit still. Or we would ever get too fucking busy. We would roll up a newspaper, put, put rubber bands on that, and keep them in line like, like pigs in a fucking slaughterhouse. <laughs> and line them up and like... We make a stack of stencils and we do 120, 130 tattoos. Mm. Uh, what uh, year uh, is this? Uh, this is beginning of the 80s, early 80s, eight, around 85. How long have you been tattooing for? From like, uh, the, I had a shop since 1979. So like, uh, these years would be like 40 years working in a shop. And, and my tattoo adventure starts somewhere around the early 70s. How did this start for you? Because in those years, you must have been at some point fascinated with, you know. I wanted to be a photographer and I wanted to be a street photographer. I fell in love with a little book by Diane Airbush. And Diane Airbush was a lady who would would travel with the circus and take pictures from the inside. And it's also the days of Hunter S. Thompson, uh, Fear and Loading in Las Vegas and Mm -hmm. Fear and Loading with the Hells Angels. And so it, it was like what they would call the gonzo journalism, the involved journalist, the journalist who is there as well and, and participates in what's happening and, and also writes his own thoughts and his own uh, adventures within the books. Uh, and the Kerouac type of uh, thing. So I, I, I went to slowly work for this magazine, but I, in order to become a photographer and to, to, to enter in this magazine, I had a couple of themes. I would constantly take pictures of people sleeping. I would constantly take pictures of people who were carrying a musical instrument. On. So I had these themes, so slowly they developed. And the other one was like, I would take pictures of people with tattoos. And in those days, people with tattoos, were like Amsterdam was a tourist city. I could, I could actually at a certain spot on somebody, this guy's tattooed, but he had his coats on. Okay. You, know, you, you couldn't see it because I'm, that guy is tattooed. You know, the, like, the way he would uh, yeah, carry himself. Yeah, the way he would behave and the way he would walk. Because like, if you realize very good and you, and you think about it, what happened to yourself after you got a couple of tattoos, it changed your life. It changes your life. You become a different person when yeah. you are uh, tattooed. You move differently. You behave differently. You are aware of the fact that you are tattooed. You get into a restaurant. Or you in the old days when we have to go to Italy or whatever, and you go in the, and you hit the customs, you would put something on just to save you 20 minutes at the customs. Uh, so like it cha- it changes your li- your life. You learn to play with your tattoos, and in 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 the 70s 80s, being tattooed, you immediately had a stamp of somebody stupid or somebody who goes went to jail or a women prostitute. So that gave you a big advantage. 
that gave you a big advantage because like people wouldn't take you too serious and 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 you're damn serious so so like in in discussions and and things like that and they couldn't believe that you could could not speak like a normal person yeah. or, or or that and, and if there was a little bit of intellect involved or did you ever read a book they couldn't really be, be, believe it so that gave me my way in, in all these early dutch tv programs to advocate about tattooing and uh, make me a really famous tattoo artist in in the country and make me help to bring tattooing where tattooing deserves to be and i'm not really sure if this is where we are now but like we 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 became very accepted and very uh, uh, i mean like the, the two years ago the the king gave me a, a medal for for the stuff i did also in in this field that is which strange. is incredible which yeah. is incredible i mean i know a lot of tattoo history of people but more than a criminal record and of course people who tattooed royal people yeah that, that that's that's different like in Denmark, yeah. the king. But like the Italians had a law, and I think it was Mussolini who made that law that tattooing was forbidden. Also, piercing was forbidden, I think, for boys like earrings. and. Uh, um, so Pisa came to tattoo here. And we would do all this small stuff and all day long. And then they would go back home again to Bologna. And, and, and like so, slowly this started to grow. And then we had this thing called the Asino and the Zebra in, in, in Rome, and I think it, it, it was Ed Hardy who set, it that, uh, set that up. It was a whole show. Pinky Jan was tattooing there. Pa- Patello Zuluapa was tattooing there. What year is that? Horiyoshi, I think it's like 1983 or mm. 1984. And But it was like a two-week type of thing. It was two weeks in the Mercado. Was that in Rome? Yeah, in Rome. Right next to the Colosseum was the old Roman market. So it's in the ruins and the show was there and it was open from till. And then the Italians went for lunch and then they came back and we did a a, a little longer. But it was really, really cool. And it it was the beginning of... And the only guy out there who would have a little bar... And you could get a small tattoo there as well. It was an old Alitalia steward called Gippy Rondinella. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so like, and Gippy was sort of the host. He was nothing more than like a guy like with a, you know, really like dressed like an Italian. There is a different dress code in Italy for the men than there is in, everywhere in the world. We were just like roaming the streets of, I would step into a, a, a store to buy something and like, Three old ladies would like run for their life to get out of the store screaming, Una pirata originale! <laughs> and got out of the store as, as fast as they could. But we had a great time. We would like eat every night together. You know, like we, we, the table was like Leo Zulueta, Candy Everett, uh, Ed Hardy, uh, Horiyoshi, Patalo Zulueta, uh, Lal, uh, Lal Turtle. So yeah. that was a great fucking table Damn. to eat every night. You got pictures of those, of those Yeah, days? there is a lot of pictures of, yeah. out of those days. And speaking of which, I heard that Ed Hardy was in town recently. Yeah. And he got tattooed by you. Yeah. That's like, we were talking in the shop with Marco said, it was like, that's like seeing a unicorn. <laughs> it's like, you know? Those moments it, in Easter, is like, what the fuck? It, 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 
for me, it was very special as well. I, I know at a long time, I mean, I went in the early 70s to Vancouver for the first time. I was on my first honeymoon with my first wife, of course. And I got an interest at that moment in tattoo and taking pictures of it. So I, I went to the Golden Dragon Tattoo on Davy Street in Vancouver. And that was run by Dave Shore. He was a mean son of a bitch with uh, Vinnie. Vinnie the Indian, also another mean son of a bitch <laughs> with big rubies on his teeth. There's pictures of him driving Horiyoshi around on the Harley Davidson in a wheelie through the street. of, uh, And uh, told me, he says, oh, man, there is a guy in San Francisco and that's the new thing, you know, like he has a really cool tattoo, it's called Ed Hardy. If you get to San Francisco, go and see him. So I went to see Ed. It was difficult because he was working out of a private situation. On Van Ness there was a studio and Bill Salmon was the, the guy working at the counter. Bill was not tattooing, but Bill was wow. the floor manager. Wow. <laughs> the floor manager. And uh, of course, he also went to see La. But there was a little contact going on, picture-wise. So, like, there has always been a little bit of a friendship. And when you and I, I said about, I mean, when the difference between conventions then and conventions now is, now there is five hundred fucking people and nobody knows who the fuck each other is. And 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 in those days there was forty or sixty people tattooing and everybody knew each other. So on the Thursday night, the first night of the convention. We would all exchange our business cards with the with, with the room numbers on there, and we would have one big suite which was called the hostility room, where we would go all night and and do beers with everybody, <laughs> and and it's we would just like a talking. Uh, yeah, get to know each other. Yeah, 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 and and the next convention again, this group is, and there was a couple of new guys because other guys would be brought in. So it stayed a huge family. In, in, in halfway the 70s and in the early 80s, there is 350 to 400 tattoos worldwide. Worldwide. And we would all know each other. You don't write each other a fucking email. You would write each other a whole letter and put a drawing in the letter and put a couple of photos in the letter. And if you get a letter now, the, the motherfucker is in jail and he has nothing else to do. And they don't <laughs> give him a computer. So that's the only place now you get a letter from. And then the Dutch people, the post people, proposing now that they will open your letter and send it you as an email. We, this, is the, the, this is the time of my life where people take more pictures of each other than ever. Mm. But none of these pictures will be saved. Yeah. They're all in fucking phones. Yeah. And not in the old days, the, the little camera roll you took with your little sensor uh, thing and, and you would take 36 pictures and you would print them and blew them in a fucking book and you still have that stuff. I mean, it can almost bring tears to, to the eyes of the collector what's happening at, at this moment. It's ridiculous. A total ridiculous time. It's a big change. If, if you realize you get like a letter, I get a letter from Ed Hardy in 1975, I still have that letter, I get another one in 1977, I still I have his postcards, I have his New Year card. Now you get an email. I have to go and print this email and put this file in order to keep it. Yeah, yeah. But mostly you don't do this. Yeah. So like all this correspondence will not be there of, of an age. Communication is, is, is the, the word. 
and there is no no communication at all, at all. It's like you're more connected, but you're less connected, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you get more volume yeah. but less quality. <laughs> so it's 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 biblish. Yeah. It is the the Tower of Babel. You know, like it's 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 it is the confusion of the fusion. Yeah. It is totally ridiculous. And how was how was Amsterdam? Before compared oh, to now. Oh, we had everything with us. I mean, Amsterdam was a hell of a town. I mean, like, uh, part of who I am is called Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, the fact that this was the city of sin and the city where everything was possible, the most liberal town in the world, made who I am. I'm in the middle of the fucking red light district in those days with the old shop. So people would eventually all go to the red light district to see all... All, all this misery uh, behind uh, glass, and and so they would pass by the shop. So like they, for me, it was very easy to be successful. The other part was me, and 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 actually being able in those days to talk about this profession and to to avocados in in that way. A lot of tattooers were a different type of people. And when I started, there was yeah, four or five people in this country, not more. Yeah. I mean, like the, the the 350 worldwide I'm talking about are now 350 in the city. Yeah. I think there's 160 of established address in this in this town where they tattoo. So there's three, four guys. I mean, every motherfucker who starts yesterday takes two apprentices. Yeah. Because like that's how he gets his importance. He needs a couple of people to tell him that he is a that legend. Is cool. <laughs> I mean, my my heart actually is in the most purest form of this thing, which is called the jailhouse uh, tattoo, the hand poke, forbiddenly, secretly made, cry for attention and 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 straight from the heart and not direct from the brain. I've always been a, a fan of jailhouse and military uh, uh, stuff. So I. I pretty much almost like every type of tattoo, you know, so this is very strange, but except, well, at this moment you see these guys who take a rip off of this thing and, and do not acknowledge where they come from. I think it's important to acknowledge where it comes from. I've been involved in, in, in all kinds of revivals at the very early stage. I mean, like in the last years, we worked really hard to bring the Berber tattooing back, and it's and it's and it's working. It's it's going again because I saw this how this disappeared in this country. So all these women were so immediately sent to do the laser clinics, uh, the old old Moroccan and uh, women, and Algerian women to remove their tattoos because their iman here is a Pakistani iman or uh, not not the same iman they have in Morocco when they live in the Rif or in the Atlas. When you take something that important away from a group of people, you you actually steal their soul. You, you act, it's not easy to be brought back in, in a time where all these primitive forms of tattoo are reviving. And it's ridiculous that that one shouldn't revival as well. Yeah. I've, I've lived to see that all happening. I mean, it, it maybe took a jump too far because you will see Maori and Polynesian t- types of tattoo that never and never, never existed. But you can call that contemporary. Uh, and if they do it themselves, yeah. then that's, they have the right. But uh, it's interesting to, to be right in the middle of all this uh, stuff. And what would you say, like, in its out of context, like, not related to now, or like in its purest form, what is the thing that made you fall in love with tattooing, the aspect? 
of it, like like you say, you know. The, well, it the, was a sign of adventure. It was a sign of, and uh, when you look into to the Bible, one of the, the the strongest titles I ever saw for a book was a book by Gippy Rondinella. He made a book called The Sign Upon Cain, and that's I think that that's what it is. It, it's the sign in in Cain killed Abel, and like God tattooed him. God, the outcast. God, the outcast. Mm. Yeah. And that's an interesting point because, like, the outcast is not the outcast anymore. It, at this moment, there's people who get tattoos who should not get tattooed at all. It's hijacked the commercial aspect of it, hijacked that alternative thing and, and remarketed and sold it back. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's completely up. It is, it, I mean, the circle is full, I think. You know, like, I don't think we will go much higher. We will keep circling a little bit and then it will decline uh, again. But The thing is, like, I had a, a, we made a sign called We Did Your Mom. Because that's what we did. We, right now, we tattoo people whose mom I tattooed or whose father I tattooed. And that was very small. And in those days, and these were like little wild women who would get tattooed. And slowly that market broke open. The ladies' magazines. They called it I Did Your Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, now. You did, the, you did the mom, now you did the daughter. The daughter grew up with a mom that was tattooed. Now even the mom of the mom, who is the, the, the grandmother, also divorced now or lost her husband, decided that she also wants to get a little tattoo just to bond with her grandchild. So now we're, we're, we're actually having people in the shop who are 78, 75, 80, and they're walk-ins. And they want to get a small tattoo just to, uh, or they come in and pay for the for the grandchild. Yeah. So it changed. The acceptance is is just enormous. Twenty percent of this fucking country is tattooed. One out of five people have a tattoo. That's enormous. Yeah. That's enormous. That doesn't mean they have fantastic tattoos, because sometimes you look at TV and you see something happening. You go, oh my god. Yeah. Especially when you see a lot of idiots screaming and yelling against something political in the political field and they have black bomber jacks and they're all fucking tattooed up with heavy Leo Zulaveta stuff and they're screaming and they go, do you know what the fuck you're wearing? You know, like, do you know uh, the pride you should have in your height? And do you know where that came from and what that is? And like, here you're screaming all kind of left, right-wing bullshit on the television. Yeah. That makes me ashamed of that. But then... I should be a happy man, and yeah. you know. But old age brings that to you, yeah, like you yeah, know. Yeah, you yeah. Get, yeah. I don't yeah. have time for fucking bullshit. Yeah. Well, but my first book was Art, Sex, and Symbols, uh, Skin Deep, mm -hmm. by Christopher Scott, and that was one of the only books you could lay your hands on. And I tried to find other books in those days in the 70s. It was very difficult to find another book. You'll find Catani, which is 19 something. You'll find Joost, which is 18, uh, end of the uh, 19th century. Very difficult to find a book on tattoo. Mostly the, these were studies in a completely different field. They were criminology, Lombroso or Prince Horan. Uh, uh, so it became very difficult to get books. And like right now, it's like fucking convinced. You, can, you cannot even get all these books anymore. There is so much bullshit being published uh, at this moment in, in terms of book that is a tattoo book coming out every day. And most of them are, are, are bullshit, are nothing more than uh, uh, Mastrobani, mm. uh, like jerking off, mm. you know, like the, the people who think 
there should be a book on, on them. Yeah. Like we became, uh, tattoo artists are all stars. Ego, ego. Yeah, it's like we, we football players and chefs. <laughs> you know, like that's, uh, and, and barbers nowadays as well. You know, like a barber, a barber is all of a sudden a very talented person. Yeah. And uh, it, is, it is strange. Everybody becomes a star. Mm. It's really the Andy Warhol. Uh, everybody gets his share of Five fame. Five minutes of yeah, fame. Yeah, yeah. It, it is also strange to realize that there is a lot of these guys who do not give a fuck, who are there only for that part of the deal. Like in, in the 90s, we said, okay, that is a new guy. He just bought a machine. The first thing he does now, he shoves his own head up his own ass and doesn't realize that there's anything else going on. You know, there is more people. That, yeah, people talk that for four or five years and they think they're the, the biggest stars in the world. And their followers, the same. If he is smart enough with his Instagram, he has 120,000 followers. Yeah, marketing. Yeah. What would you say, like, you know, that your many years of experience, if you would have to think about something you learned, that you would consider the most valuable. You'd be like, okay, you know, in, in all the experience that I had, the stories, the thing I've seen, what is the thing that this profession taught you? They're like, oh, even on a personal level, they're like, oh, that's the most valuable thing I think that I got from this life, looking back. I remember like uh, in, in the very early days, Gil Monty told me once something and then Gil ain't, ain't a fantastic tattooist or biker type of tattooist. He says, Hank, if I would have not had a tattoo machine and I would do my stuff on pieces of paper and I would try to find a gallery for this shit, nobody would hang this on the wall, you know, like, <laughs> and nobody would buy it. So for me, it gave me an opportunity as a mediocre artist to have an audience and to have a, a, a life. To express. And, 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 yeah, and be able to take care of my children and my needs. And, and this is very true for a lot of us early. We, uh, we were not all like artists and painters. I mean, it, again, you have a man like Ed Hardy who spear-pointed for us their way into the museums. And now we are about to enter the museums and like the older among us call it, well, we want to go in a fucking museum, fuck them. You know, they never saw us all these times. Our museum is the street. You know, like I'll, I'll, if it's summer, I have an exhibition in Amsterdam. And, and you don't have to go into the fucking museum. You don't have to pay entrance. Just keep your eyes open on the street and you will see all kinds of people bicycling and walking by with our work. I, I, I recently did a piece for the Kai Branly Museum in France. And they did a couple of really uh, incredible uh, shows. 250,000 people going through the doors of that museum to, wow. to see a tattoo show. And they had a lot of old stuff in there. And like big museums can make very good shows because they have access to all kinds of... Uh, you know, they sent you a big box. And in this box is this huge leg made out of the same shit they make dildos. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, a big plastic shit. Yeah. And you can tattoo it like a human. It's like in, incredibly cool to tattoo something like that. Yeah. And it goes back in the box and like, and they bought it and it's in the museum now. In France. Yeah. That's the new way of collecting skin. And you know, like collecting skin and collecting human, parts of human is not really Salon Feig anymore. They don't mm. like that. They have difficulties uh, with it. You are a collector. Yeah. 
I have human skin, but I wish I had a little more. You know, <laughs> I recently saw a version of Guadalupe a back piece by Chewy, which was so incredibly delicate and so wonderfully done. You know, like uh, I would say, like if we have a chance to like preserve that piece of skin after this guy's death, we should we should definitely do this. What is it? Is it in Japan, right? There is like an institute that has. Well, the, the, we have these two, the father and son Fukushi, who, who made a collection. A lot of that stuff actually was lost in the bombardments of the Second World War, but there is full human skins. The story goes that they're not that well preserved. Of course, uh, inside information told me that the Kaiper Lee tries to, to borrow one, and they were afraid to borrow it. Okay. Because there was all kinds of small funguses and... Uh, mm, bacteria. Uh, yeah. I have an arm of a lady, which is two and a half thousand years old, which is a Nazca arm, and you'll see this thing declining. It needs very, very special. Wherever it was before, in the hot sands of a desert, or uh, huh? that's where it was best. And you see, they, they, are, they are closing the graves in Egypt. Because there is too much funguses coming out of the, like all the visitors. Yeah, contamination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you, you know, you started your museum. Well, I, I when I did the first convention, I, I at first I was in 1977 at the Reno convention, and I see Ed Hardy, like in a talk, sort of declaring war on bad tattooing. <laughs> on, on what? On bad tattooing. Yeah. On and so like, we were. There was a group of people formed to like be part of the renaissance of tattooing, to like give tattooing a better name. And uh, that not, uh, we, we tried it all. I mean, we all went also to dinner in tuxedos and tried to cut our steaks with fuck you tattooed on our fingers <laughs> and we spoke with two words and we behaved. That, that didn't work for us. It, it had to come from what we were doing instead of from our behave, yeah. behavior. But, uh, So, like, in 78, there was an, a, a not much known small convention in Amsterdam, which I helped organizing in, in, in a small place, and only 120. And then in somewhere in 84, I think, I did it again in the Paradiso. Now, and then, this time, it worked. Like, Horiyoshi came, Bob Roberts came, Greg Irons came, Ed Hardy came. Philip Lou, who was 12 years old, came, and and, and Felix came, and George Bone, and, uh, and and all these guys were there. There was about 40 tattoo artists there, and it became an enormous su success. I got scared shitless because it was winter and then a lot of snow and cold, and at 7 o'clock we opened the door, and I go, oh my God, this is going to go completely wrong. I'm going to lose all my, everything I put in there. And then the lady from the paradise said, hey, come and look out of the window. And this massive amount of people were blocking the trams to go to, to Paradise. And we opened the door and the Paradise wow. filled like if it was water and uh, the blow of the dam. And this three days of fantastic tattooing with all these people, everybody was busy and happy. So we did this three years later again. I was afraid to do them every year. What year was that? Um... I think 84 and then 87 mm. and then 1993 and then it started and we we needed a bigger event and we and the last one I did I think was 96 and this was in the burst from Berlage and up till then it was impossible to get a tattoo guy in that place 
you know, like the waiters were having like little white yeah, gloves. Yeah, more like polish. <laughs> but we just like took the whole place over yeah. and... Uh, and you're still in touch with these people, like... Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, a lot of these people. Like Philip, Philip became a man, mm-hmm. you know, like a very important man in, in tattooing. Uh, Felix, he was here with Felix and Loretta, like uh, shortly before Felix died, and we we hang around in Holland for a while. Felix was sleeping in the house here, and we would take care and like sit and talk. Luke Atkinson, an old old friend of mine, I think Luke came in 1982 into the shop as a punk, asked if I could sell him tattoos, of, and I kicked him in his ass and threw him out. And <laughs> <laughs> look now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's crazy how, you know, these, you know, these big people like yourself, you know, these big names, these people that contributed so much gravitates, they gravitate toward each other. It's like a, it's like almost like a magnetic pool, you know, like, and because they Yeah, well, we can't let loose of each other, you know, like we have, we bury one every month mm-hmm. somewhere in the world, you know, like, I mean, like every month there is another guy go and call each other up for a minute. Zeke Owen is really sick now. Uh, we buried Philadelphia Eddie. We buried uh, Lyle, Rick Walters, Terry Tweet, Mike Malone, Dave Shore. You know, all these people are gone. I had a problem with my heart when I was at the, at the tattoo convention and I'm, li- I'm in the hospital and I hear behind me, it's the Grim Reaper. And here is a J.D. Crow joking, that, you know, but that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's the Grim Reaper who's behind you, like you're, you're on your way, you're on your way. So you got to prepare that thing a little bit. And very often we did not do this. A lot, lot of old collections were burned in the old days by the family because it was too weird what they found. They found pictures of naked people who had tattoos. Yeah. You know, you tattoo somebody and like on certain parts and the family didn't like it. There is also an accident incident where somebody tattooer has left not only all these pictures, but also five thousand little paper bags with pubic hair from all kinds of women with dates and names on. on, on them. <laughs> and I would have loved to take that collection over, but like they burned that as well. Yeah. But uh, so like it, it's always been a, a, a bit weird, especially in the old days. But so what we did now is after. I had to close down the museum and like bring everything back home to a whole idiotic turmoil time of getting this shit back from the taxman, getting all this stuff back from the curators who took over because there was a bankruption and everything. And it's just one big lawyer thing. And luckily the tattoo world helped me out. People were working in from Buenos Aires till, till Denmark and send me little bits of money to make one big pile of money out of it to be able to pay at least all the lawyers. But now, I can't say goodbye to this shit. I'm like Lyle Lyle in this thing. Lyle also didn't sell his stuff by life. I could sell it, but like, you know, then I would go to some fucking buyer who keeps whatever he, he thinks is interesting and sells the other stuff again to some people or maybe even throw it away or whatever. So like, to me, my life is involved in this thing. And also a lot of people donated stuff to me with the idea that I would not make this, turn this into a profit. So now we made this called thing called the Schiefmacher Tattoo Heritage. And there is a group of people 
looking for all kinds of subsidations to make sure that we can enclose everything. It's the director of the Escher Museum. It, it is a guy who is has his knowledge in terms of like brand making. There is a lady who knows all about subsidations because like when you take the whole collection into pieces, you could bring photography, religion, uh, uh, old drawings, etchings, woodblock prints, Japanese. So all these different parts of the collection are liable to small little uh, funds found everywhere. So you need a specialist to go look after these funds. And then they want to start doing an enclosure of it. So everything will be going through my hands. And while it goes through my hands, I, 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 I'm, I'm telling what I think it is and where it came from. And we will film this. And like we will put all this stuff like on this knowledge site. And so like in the next years, this site will be, we'll be building up and building up. So we'll make an actually a virtual museum before we make another museum. And then like most of the, of a big part of the collection, like the top pieces out of the collection have been collected and there has been working on with the Tushin people in, in Los Angeles. And at the end of the year, there'll be a, a almost 700 pages thick book like on the collection only. So all the good stuff is will be in, in, in one big Tushin book which comes out worldwide again. So that's nice. That is a nice... When do you think that's gonna... I think it's be a fall because like Otherwise, they'll lift it all over the Christmas and everything. They they have been working on it for the last six years. And first, it probably went like this. And, and now what they actually do also is the Chief Macher collection. And they interview me on collecting and where I got it from and what it is. So it'll be an interesting book. Like, the first plan was to make it the same size as a circus book. I thought, fuck you, I'm going to make a fucking book so fucking big. <laughs> well, that's why they get rid of this size. It's seven kilos and people, oh, yeah. you know, so that makes it harder to Even sell. if you want to look at it. You know? So they go in this series, but the book will be in the series, but it will be like the size more like the Shige type of book like that. Still they, manageable, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two kilos instead yeah, of seven kilos. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, because I had a few of those from Tushin. Like one was. Oh, about... I, I love their books, and I, I had the Magic Book and the Circus Book and the Diego Rivera book, yeah. and the Leonardo da Vinci book. You know, like, and and they also did the the Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, but Lyle was here uh, uh, not long before he died, and we talked about the difference between my collection and his collection. That's very funny, because I have a lot of stuff which is like ethnical. Uh, coming from islands and coming from uh, and Lyle's very much on on Americana more modern uh, yeah 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 and and it's a, I mean it's an incredible collection and he refused an incredible deal with a museum because he didn't like the fucking building mm. but, but, <laughs> yeah but like you know there's a lot of people who call themselves tattoo museum at this moment who who this same as tattoo and that their name museum. Uh, uh, became like almost uh, unimportant. You have a nice little collection, and you get a, if you have some money, and you, you can find yourself a building. You call yourself museum, and um, it's completely bullshit. I mean, like they they want to buy stuff from you. 
I don't need them. I don't like to sell anything to them. Even if I got three or four of them, I wouldn't even sell it to them. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know Rambo in Manchester? Yeah, and he's got some cool stuff. He has a lot of. Yeah, uh, I I think Rambo bought stuff around the same time, because like when I made the conventions, I made a foundation, and I I always thought the money I made on the convention should not be money which is mine. I should use that money again. Reinvested in the yeah. And so I always reinvested it in buying little co- and bigger collections. And what's your favorite part of your collection? I like the primitive stuff, the the the, the, some, the early Samoan stuff I have. Because you've been to these places. Well, I went to look. I went to investigate. I went. I went on a quest, and. Um, was it easy to get easier or easier? No, now it is. To get it, no. Oh, you can fly. Uh, there is a convention on in November in Samoa. Yeah. I advise everybody strongly to go there. You know, like yeah. me, it's an adventure. But before that, it was difficult. Was to it get easy there. to get in? No, no. Flying into the Pacific was expensive and weird, and only for very, very rich people. And like in the days where Leo started this thing, like when Dan Tomei and and Ed Hardy. It was impossible to get to these islands. You had to go on freight ships. And that ship would leave you there and you had no idea when the ship would come back. If you didn't like the fucking place, you had to wait six months before the ship came back. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they wouldn't speak the language. Yeah. No, but you, have to le- you had to learn the language. I mean, you cannot... Exp- but that doesn't matter. That's the same now. You go to Italy, nobody speaks English either. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you were talking about like this convention and this crazy fight in Italy... Well, one of the first conventions, I think, was made by uh, um, Gianmarizio Faccioni yeah. in, in, in Milan, and Horiyoshi flew in. I went there, a couple of big shots, and the early Italian guys, the guys from Milan, uh, Marco Pisa, and one way or another, this early group couldn't have some animosity among each other. So the first fight was in the afternoon, where Marco Pisa grabbed a two-by-four, and beat the shit out of some guy from Milano with a two by four. So that was the first fight. That was, then they started this thing, the, the band was about to play. So all afternoon there is some motherfucker punk Italian guy on the stage going, test, test, one, two, three, test, <laughs> test, one, two, three, test, test. And so this kept going on until they finally had their, their, their PA, right? And then the band starts and the, the, this guy comes over and he's all having change and everything. He's like heavy, wearing heavy makeup and a leather jacket. And he started to scream uh, some Italian punk song. And he didn't like the sound uh, which came back to the monitor. So he stopped the band and he started to, to, to go to the bark at the guy who does the the sound check, yeah. The sound check, you go, Tesco, the cuts you know, I don't know what the fuck he was saying. So this guy who's behind the PA console, guy yeah. gets so fucking mad that he jumps over the PA, brings a big chain, jumps on stage, and beats the shit out of this fucking uh, uh, singer. Really, like the shit, he beat the shit out of this Don't fuck guy. with the sound check. Then they have everything calmed down again. The guy's all bleeding and the concert is off and then another concert comes in and so it, it, it gets better. And then at that point, some rival skinhead gang breaks into the side door and of, of another skinhead group which is in there, 
the good guys and the bad guys again, the fascists and the non-fascists. And they step a guy there. They, they're right behind where we're all sitting. A guy get knifed. Then the police comes in, closes the fucking door, sent Horiyoshi home after one or two. And we were all, we all went to dinner that night. But like it was over. It was very sad because Giammaurizio Faccioni put out his neck very, very far to do this thing. But then again, like we all, all are who we are and we got very drunk and, uh, and had a good night. And that was all in one day. Yeah, it was all in one day. <laughs> <laughs> was, that was a very famous... Horiyoshi, uh, when I talk to Horiyoshi, we still talk about this thing he likes. He enjoyed the fuck out of it even... Uh, even better than... It was a failure, yeah. Yeah. It's true because sometimes, you know, when you go in life and you, and you end up in an extremely dangerous adventure and, and everything goes wrong and it's bad you're in the middle of the fucking jungle and people leave you, they don't want to help you and everything and go on. You just got bitten by a fucking snake and stepped by a Scorpio. You know one thing, if I get out of here, I got a great story. <laughs> and like, storytelling has always been uh, an important part of tattooing. What is missing at this moment is very often that getting a tattoo is not an adventure anymore. It used to be an adventure. You would go into this dark alley, there was a little place, there's a guy with one fucking leg and golden teeth who would tattoo you, and there was all kind of weird shit and pickled in water, and uh, you know what I mean? So it was an adventure to get this thing. Now it's, it's gray. They got a guy, hello, can I help you? And like, he making appointments in three months, and Get the fuck out of here, you know, like, we're drunk, we have three friends, we all want to get tattoos. We don't want to make a fucking appointment for three months. Oh, but our, our artist is booked for half a year. Fuck all that shit. You know, now you see that the walk-in is coming back. The walk-in is important. The walk-in is important. That, those are the people who want to get bigger tattoos later. They have, they, those are the people who take a first taste of it. And they're also the collectors. This is our living. You know, because, oh, well, sir, would you like to come back in three months? Are you out of your fucking mind? And then also the whole health thing. You know, people are fucking wrapped in saran wrap tattooing each other. It looks like being on an alien. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like surgery. The whole thing is, yeah, yeah. Like, if you fall down on your knees or if you fall off your bicycle on the street, you survive, you survive that thing as well. People do not have a... Antibodies. I saw a documentary on New York on the uh, on the ER, and they bring a guy, two guys in, they're all shut up, and one guy's all tattooed, and the other guy, so all that guy's tattooed, he'll survive it. He's, uh, tattooing is a vaccination, yeah. which can give strength to a, a human person, not only physical strength but also mental strength. Tattooing is so much. You know, it's yeah. not just like sometimes this is the thing that some people forget. It is everything and, and it's not what it is right now. Yeah. And it's everything what it was before. It is strength. It's power. It's mana they call this in the Pacific. That's why gangsters. It's communication. It's, it's, it, it is peace. It's happiness. It's, it's war. It's love. It's hate. It's incredible. And you meet these most fantastic people. You tattoo the craziest bastards. I think I know more fucking murderers than I ever met in any other profession. <laughs> I mean, people said, how many murderers you know? Oh, well, maybe 20. You know, <laughs> who else knows 20 people who murdered somebody? You know, like, or, or even 30, I don't even know. Like, only in this profession. And you know what? So sit still. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't take it from anybody else. Yeah. He wouldn't take that from anybody. Now my favorite tattooer ever is I and I had a, the chance to work with him a couple of times because like I we became a very big friend of mine and we would sit together at a convention and just do what we do now. Mike Malone, you know, like we would just sit there and talk. Three fucking days of these kind of stories. Adventure, topping each other with another adventure. Stories about this guy, that guy. But it's one of the best part yeah, of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sharing, sharing the, especially because you say you get exposed to certain things that if you get it out of context, you know, you put in somebody else's life, which is not a tattooer, you're like... Oh, we lived the life of 20 people. Yeah, at exactly. least, yeah, yeah. yeah. Throughout all... And it gets from these high points into these low points. I mean, I have this little, little old lady coming in one of these little electric chairs on wheels, you know, like, and they're in front of the door and she has little flowers and she wants five names and really badly connected to each other, like, uh, like a lasso, you know, like. And I go, who are these people? She goes, oh, no, it's not people. This is my dog. These are my two canary canaries and those are my two uh, chihuahuas or whatever, you know, like. And it's such a, you know, like a heartbreaking little puddle of love for these five animals, which is the only thing this lady has. You know, I can't even charge for that stuff anymore. I don't even want to want any money for it, for, for something like that. I, I love these people who do st things like that. Little old guy who, who wants who wants a camp number, who wants a concentration camp number because they never tattooed him, he was too young and he was in, in, in Auschwitz and now he, he's about to die so he's about to meet everybody he, he, who took care of him there who had all this number so he wants his number. So there is all these fantastic, fantastic things which make you think, yeah, you know, which makes you the person you are and this all comes together in this strange profession get strange as fucking tattoos, you know, like uh, in the old days, S&M people. I never got into the piercing because I, I was always a little bit of scared for that part of the world. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to end up being uh, uh, nasty panky with my ass taken out of a leather pencil. Or <laughs> <laughs> nasty panky, yeah, that's good. <laughs> or, or whatever, but that was, I mean, we, we lived through sensational times. Early 80s, the fucking world starts to die. In the shop, you're losing your customers. You know, like, uh, people are disappearing. The whole gay community we used to tattoo just started to die. We had to do something, so we started to, to, to you know, like, for the first time in our life, take, okay, let's take the dumplings out of the sterilizer and put needles in there this time. <laughs> so, like, it changed the whole world. It changed the whole world. And you're talking as well about the... The thing that you do with, uh, you've been doing for a long time, for uh, um, kids and... Uh, well, yeah, and well, it, it, with this thing, it came a bit fame. You know, I, I started to tattoo all, all kind of famous people all of a sudden, and the, the Chili Peppers, and that, those was, of course, the best deal of them all, because every film, every, every music video they would make, they would do you this butt naked. So you would see these tattoos, and you know, all the other people were wearing all kinds of clothes. The music video became important in those days, and the Stray Cats were like people who took tattoos uh, right into their image. 
and lots of other bands were taken tattooed into their images. So you had followers of these bands, the punks and the skins and the, the rockabillies, and everybody had his own type of tattooing. And, and now we have Tommy Hilfinger and everybody gets everything from... Uh, it's, it's different, you know, like those subcultures, those city Indians or whatever you, you want to call them, birds of paradise or whatever, that doesn't exist too much anymore like it used to exist. Yeah, so, and then when you get a certain fame, you are able to do things. You, there is a role model which comes with it. You can, if you would say, like, okay, I'm, I'm against this, or I'm all for this, you will help, you help this city. So they made me an ambassador of this thing called the Orange Babies. Or they made me ask me if I want to be an ambassador. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And we take care of pregnant women who are mostly rape victims who are HIV infected and we help them get a healthy baby. And uh, we've been doing that for the last 20 years. And as of that moment also, like all kinds of organizations know how to find you. And sometimes, yeah, you, they ask you something and you can call it blackmail, whatever the fuck you want, but you can't say no. <laughs> you know, like, what are you gonna say? Like if somebody says, oh, we, we, we're, uh, we're investigating cancer for kids and like this thing, could you help us with a little drawing we can auction off? Yeah, well, you're right. You know, like uh, I'm saying, nope, no, I'm not doing that. I'm all for cancer against for babies. And, you know, like so they know how to find you. And I, I, I got to the point where I had to say no because it became too ridiculous. Mm. You know, somebody asked me to, to donate a painting because they want to make a party light in a small village, help to rebuild uh, something. So they can make a profit out of that. That's not how it goes. But like, yeah, so it, it dep all depends on how they do it. And if people would like to contribute and help your work, and how can they do it? Go to the website and, and, and put your name on there. And you don't have to do anything. You know, like just, I don't want to go back for any fucking money. I want them to see what we're doing and slowly get involved in what we're doing. And I'll rather have a donation of an old sheet than a sum of money. Money we can make. But like the better the collection is, you know what I mean? But if they want to donate a shitload of money, of course I'm not going to say no. <laughs> but like, it's different. I, we, we, people help me with money. And, and that all disappeared in this situation. And I, I feel it is not right immediately to ask for money again. But like, just wait and see what's happening. Just put your name on there and like they will send you uh, uh, whatever something happens, they will let you know. So like, it, there will slowly stuff starts to happen. We will get to look, we're looking for money now with the European Council and, and, and stuff like, like slowly museums realize that it's something they want. But I'm not ready to give it to them yet. Yeah. Because they, 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 they're strange people. They look as material they have, they, they, their heart's not in that it's collection. It's not backed up by the fashion. Yeah, 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 so it's different. Of course, they will put it in a nice case and they will tell you exactly where it came from, what it is, but it's still not the ownership of this stuff in which with us, the tattoo community, is at, it, at this moment more important than to donate it into museum, unless you get to the point where you can donate it to a real incredible institution but you should always remember that you have to with this donation you should have a backup plan because if you see what's happening to detroit city now detroit was a very rich 
rich, rich city. And the Detroit Museum, the City Art Museum of Detroit, had incredible art donations from all kind of very rich De Detroitians or whatever the fuck you call them, uh, <laughs> people. Eh? And now the city is bankrupt. And now the lawyers grab the fucking museum and they want to sell the Rembrandt and they want to sell... So now all this stuff which has been donated for the culture of people, all of a sudden is up for grabs. Yeah. You know, so like, even a museum, your shit's not safe. Everything of value is... Weerloos means that it's also anything can happen to it. Mm. You know, it can burn, it can be stolen. So it's it's. So you see, maybe one day if you find the right person, the right circumstances, you might. Yeah, and if if I find the right person, and Lyle never found the right person. Or the right building. If I find if if let's say last time I just like this they they call me up oh, oh you just won the lottery I go oh well what did I win. So, okay, I won 180,000 fucking euros. I had to give 60,000 to the taxman. I had to pay a lot of debts I still had. And I, I, I stayed with a, a nice and healthy bit of money on my account, which gave me... I do not have to run after the facts anymore. I, I, it gave me a sort of peace of mind. I started to collect like an idiot, buy all kinds of postcards. But if I would ever win the lottery for a decent amount of money, a couple of million, I would, yes, I would buy a building. But go buy a building now. You know, like, these big cities, it's way out of hand. People, I, my children can't rent a place to live in. It becomes impossible. It's all like ZCP, it's called the small group of, like, rich and influenced uh, people from all over the world come and live in this in this city, which is fine. But like there is no no social uh, as aspect anymore. They are buying almost every building. So to rent a small place to tattooing costs you three four thousand euros a month. And if you would rent a big bigger building for a museum, you would have to pay one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand euros a year at least. It's way too much. You cannot make that from the entrance, or uh, so it has to come from a different side. Contributions or donations. Or... You have to buy a fucking building. Some some idiot has to say, "Oh, I love all that shit. Here, I'll buy a building. Two million. You pay me a little bit of rent. I'll buy the building. I would love to buy an old building. I, I wish, but with the old museum, it was on its way, and I wasn't ready at all, because I was going to paint the fuck out of that building. You know, make it into a gesamt Kunstwerk. Was that? that will paint the ceilings with, with prison art and like mm. uh, paint the whole building and full of pictures and just make this thing into like a, a total art piece. Like, so the whole building becomes an, uh, a piece of art. Yeah. And that's why they keep it that way. Like a monastery, yeah. like the Tarakan, you know, like, like a 16th chapel for tattoo people. And there is a lot of churches for sale at this moment, you know. I, uh, the good thing about it is that, that you do not have to be in the city anymore. You could, you could go out of the city at this moment. And then again, the ambitions become different. I, I was thinking about an old folks' home for all tattooers and uh, with a museum. Because <laughs> yeah. where the fuck are we going to go? I was saying, oh, look at that. There's Uncle Hank. Yo, oh, leave him alone. He's all tattooed. He's been throwing shit at the, wa at the waitresses already. You know, don't disturb him. So, but if you are with six or seven of you, you can rent a pole dancer and... <laughs> there is a shop in there where, you can, where all these old guys can work a little bit. If you you have there. a museum in there. 
and a couple of nurses to take care of the old guys. People will come from all over the fucking world. Just to listen see. to the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like sitting there, like let's say Wednesday. It's oral history. Yeah, this yeah. guy will tell, or this guy, or like the four guys will talk at the same time. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you all have to. You only have to get them a bottle of Schlebewitz, or uh, that would be an incredible thing. That's such a cool <laughs> idea. I don't see this thing happening too fast, but it could be possible. I, I tried to talk to a guy who runs hotels. Said, make me a fucking tattoo hotel, and give me a couple of rooms for for older guys. The old folks home, the downstairs and like the library and the gentlemen's club, you know, where all the old guys can talk. It's like the military sometimes have that or the sailors have that uh, type of housing. Veterans. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day. Yeah, well. Maybe you meet the right person. Who knows? It it's only needs one guy who has too much money. Maybe this one of these motherfucking suppliers should pay some tax to these things. I, I, I invented this thing once. And it was called convention tax. And they said to me, give you a letter, give me a, a, a euro of everybody going through the door convention tax. Oh, that's difficult. Yeah, that's a very difficult one. You have to think of one huge institute in the world for tattooing. I, I talked to Lyle about getting these things together. I, I like the fact that we the world became smaller. You know, it's, it's possible. There is a million of plans but I don't know if there's time enough, you know what I mean? Like, time is limited. And uh, it, it is also good that time is limited because it's also nice sort of to become, become the old timer and uh, to become the legend or the icon or whatever the fuck people call you on the Instagram. You know, if you get a picture of me and Ed on there, like 247 people go, these two icons, these two legends. Yeah, that's nice. That's that's nice. It's flattering, you know. Like it's 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 cool. I mean, I was a colleague, and sometimes I don't understand the whole thing at all. They invite me over to Catania or whatever the place is. Yeah, like they, yeah, nice. So I'm there, and then I'm tattooing. Like I'm in the room, found my boot, and pinky. Okay, this is where I'm gonna work. Put some stuff on the table. Get everything ready. Get the machine. Start the machine. Way, way, way. You know, like. And I see all these Italians all of a sudden, you know, what's happening here now? Un tractore. Un tractore? <laughs> yeah, in my machine. Oh, yeah. The rest was all rotaries and uh, they, yeah. they were already, I thought nothing was happening yet. No, they were already going, but you couldn't hear these fucking things. Yeah. Everybody's having an AP lady. AP you know? lady. <laughs> <laughs> and some wang, 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 and they all came and looked. But look, look at the old guy. He has a tractor rhythm or something like that. It was, I was the only guy with a real machine. Making noise. Yeah. Nice. Do you like the convention? I had a good time. I, the, I like the... For me, the Italians is easy people. I, I, I like them. I like the food. I, uh, you and you're know, used to them. It, yeah. You said you have Italians as Oh, man, I tattooed some fucking kids in a wheelchair there. Like punk kids tattooed all over. The wheelchair people get tattooed now, you know, like, how far can you liberate this thing? Yeah. And do you travel much these days? I, after I, my wife had a, a liver transplant, and and for me, my heart is all fucked up, and, and I'm, I'm traveling again. So I have a couple of plans. There is a, a plan to make a, make a documentary. You know, like, I cannot even make an agenda because I have too much to put in my agenda. An agenda means 
that I'm not flexible anymore. So I, I will not take an agenda. I will, if you come up with a good idea now, we jump in the car and we'll go and do this. You know, that's how I, I yeah. like to look at yeah. uh, uh, things. Instead of, oh, wow, you know, I'm all booked up until October. And maybe, fuck all that shit. You it's know? crazy when I hear it's about slavery. Sometimes, oh, that guy's booked for three years. Like, what? Yeah. Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. yeah. Like you said, then then you're gonna take a holiday and to wait for two years. Yeah. yeah, and at a certain point your your work is done also. You have to be able to fish in the pond and get somebody new out of there. All of a sudden you find somebody who gets something small, you talk it to the guy that something small becomes a little bit bigger, something big becomes the beginning of something. That guy you will not find if you not make any walk-ins. I get to the point though where I say like from now on I'm going to change a little bit because they ask me to do things I cannot do. The combination of being in the shop and being who you are and the, and, the, and the customer makes that you do this because you don't want to harm the shop and tell the guy, get the fuck out of here with your fucking stupid shit. You know, so you have to, so I don't do it and then you make some, but like I would rather just throw the motherfucker out and, uh, and wait for something. But I said to my wife, you know what I should do is like, I should maybe say, okay, I'm only doing shit for 250 euros and only do stuff I like to do. But then again, it's the same thing. Tattooing, you are a mercenary. You, you do stuff for people. If you think just for one minute that it's only you in this thing, you're in the wrong business. You're making stuff in combination with, and if you do right, then you do exactly what you want for this person. Because this person has something to communicate. And, and, and when you're not in a tribal collective, when you're not wearing your tribe's colors or your biker colors, then, then you become a personality. You want to wear your personal stuff. And you want to communicate your personal things. And because it's all about communication, it also should, should communicate. Tattoo should have enough light and be enough open and, and you should be able to communicate from a certain distance with a tattoo. And all these fine line fucking portraits, again with the AP ladies, you know, where they used 20 or 40 colors into a baby's face, that looks like a piece of baloney in one or two years. There is only a very, very few guys who get away with this. You know, you see a guy like Tintin making a portrait, He makes a portrait with a 14-round outline. He, he's not afraid to put a big fucking outline around that. I have a portrait of, my, of one of my girls on my arm and with Jack Rudy. I forced Jack to put an outline around that. And if I wouldn't have forced Jack to put an outline around that, there would be nothing left. It's too soft. If there would be no little outline around this thing, this thing would have not survived. But And, and all the respects I have for, for Jack, but like that's... Kind of uh, that tattooing has certain rules. Tattooing has certain rules. It's like in printing, tattooing, when you see there's different ways of printing. Tattooing is sort of the silk screen of printing. There's a simplicity to it which you need to keep in mind. You cannot just overshade all this stuff. All these, these most of the portraits, they put too much shading in the face. Try to think of the portrait in one or two or two lines. If I hear somebody telling me that he's been 12 hours under the needle, I think it's a totally ridiculous fucking thing. You're supposed to do 20 people in 12 hours or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ridiculous? So, and there is a couple, and, and it's also the whole new world which stepped in. The wall came down, 
you know, like all the East Bloc countries, a lot of extreme talent. Right now, we're looking at Chinese people to march in. Well, just... Korean. Yeah, yeah, and, and wait, wait to see what's happening there. They want to bring some of my stuff from the collection to Taiwan and, um, and with the museums again, you know, they want to borrow stuff and I always say, like, okay, what are you going to do for me? And they go, well, you know, like with museums, we, we give them a loan thing and we loan something for you. I say, well, you're not going to do this with me because, like, you can give me a Picasso for three months to hang in my house and then you can loan my stuff. Like, it's not going to do. So I said, like, okay, I, you know, can borrow it and, and it's a big amount, but you got to give me a, a ticket to Taiwan and a couple of days in the hotel so I can go to the opening. You know, like, oh, whoa, 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 you know, we got to think. So, well, then, then don't. And it's interesting to see because, like, they bring the Kaibra Lee exhibition to Taiwan and then they add whatever they have in Taiwan. And so like on, on that level, they bring the most incredible stuff out of a country. We haven't seen too much about all the hill tribes out there and the facial uh, tattoos. What's one of the tribes that fascinates you the most? I think the most wonderful fucking tattoo in the world by far is the Samoan Pea. It's the biggest part of the body, it's heavy, it's brutally made. It's all lines, geometrically, going to one important part of the body, the penis, the, the life giver, or the vagina, you know what I mean? Like it, and it's incredible, it's incredible, that thing, how that thing survived and stayed. I love that uh, tattoo. And Paolo and Patello, those are wonderful, wonderful people. And it's incredible that they let us have a taste of it and let us have a look at it. And I'm really, really grateful for Paolo who was here. He's, he's my main man in dead people. But uh, the, the primitive tattoo I, has that aspect for me. You know, the primitive tattoo is all about recognition, like how society looks upon you and they, they decide that you're going to have that and you're going to take and then your genealogy is in there. The charge with so much money. It, is, it, it, it was the most important art form in the Pacific, which was there, murdered by our coming. And then the pilgrim tattoos close to the old sailor uh, tattoos. I like these commemorate type of things, the decoration of a man during his lifetime, where he has his life. Instead of somebody with two or three big lines halfway his arms with commemorate how far he could shove an arm up somebody's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fucking people getting these big lines around their arm. And that came from the Knob Hill in San Francisco from the fist fuckers who could see how far they could shove it up somebody's ass. I saw that in Berlin. Yeah. It was like, wow. And that line was very high up. I was like, yeah. fuck, is that even yeah. possible? That apparently, yeah. yes. And, uh, and we have a lot of like modern primitives, you know, modern primitive was a very important book, but right now there, there is more headhunters in the south of Holland than there is on these islands. And like, you know, like sometimes I think, do you really, really, really know what you're wearing? And I, I think tattooer who does that should be somebody at least who made this style his own, where he can move around with it instead of just stealing it straight from 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 a painting or saying from a, a, a drawing because then you're stealing somebody's and then it's okay if you need to understand if you investigate this thing picasso did that uh, you know like max Ernst did this the, the data is the people who like got into this thing and learned about it and, and had it made an influence on their art 
You should always make your own art as a tattooer and not somebody else's art. Because in the end of the day, art is just is just like a form of expression. So if you if you make your own, that's your own language. I think like Markov told me one yesterday, and I gotta ask him again what he says. But like he says, like I think it was Andy Warhol who said that uh, uh, art is nothing more than a good way to steal from each other and have success with it or something like that. You know, you steal. You cannot actually invent something new in this thing. You can invent a, a lot of fucking bullshit to talk about it. And like uh, our art, don't need, you don't need to talk about tattooing. Tattooing speaks for itself. Mm. Tattooing communicates itself. A lot of this fucking shit, like somebody who's like close his eyes and like makes a, a, a one line with a pencil and like we got to pay a lot of fucking money for it. That, that doesn't do it. And I'm broad. I mean, I like a lot of, a lot of, lot of arts. I think, I think it was Jim Jarmusch. I don't know if I pronounced it correct. Is a director that said something like, it's not where you take it from, it's where you bring it to. So what do you make of it? In that sense, do you think, I remember this older tattooer from Berlin once told me, because this customer came in with this crazy idea and didn't work. And she was like, but I want it, but I want it. And he, he sent her home and said no. And then he said to me like 15 years ago or something, he said, you know, Steph, Sometimes as tattoo artists, we have the responsibility to protect the customer from himself. Well, you, we, we all have. I mean, like, are we a photographer? Or are we a filmer? Uh, there is a kid about to cross the street and there is a big car coming. What are we going to do? Going to make a film out of it or going to uh, grab the kid? You know, like that, that everybody has that responsibility all the time. And like, you have these young girls, 60, 70 years old, they're the big fucking new tits. And they want something on their tit, and they never heard of gravity. They have no fucking idea about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. I said, listen, dear, did you ever heard of gravity? Excuse me. I said like gravity. You know, like how do you look like when you're 50 years old and you're sitting in front of your caravan at the camping? Oh, oh, oh. they want a straight line of text because they saw one other role model who just had like all this fucking knowledge. Live life until you die, or stupid shit like that. They have all the, <laughs> yeah, of course you live life until you die. Oh, I really like to have it. And then they want it so they can read it themselves. Mm, that's that. What the it. fuck are you doing? Like, if you buy a house, would you like put your name, which you normally put on the door, on the inside of the door, or on the on the outside of the door? You know, like, I don't know, on the outside. So why you want to put like something you're supposed to communicate? Are you going to communicate with yourself? And I think, and I realize, yeah, well, that's what they do. They have this thing and they communicate with themselves all day long. They don't mm. communicate with anything else. Well, they borrow their, so it's totally ridiculous. And sometimes I have these days and go like, well, all right, that's it. Everybody puts fucking phone in his pockets. You sit there, concentrate on what's happening. It's disrespectful for the guy who tattoos you. Like to sit there. It's like us put in a fucking headphone on there and listen to our own music and leave you there without a conversation. Yeah, I find that, that pretty rude. Even some people like, call people my canvas. <laughs> my yeah. canvas, yeah. yeah, yeah. My canvas. That, that's a human being. <laughs> What's one of your favorite tattoos that you've done that you can remember? It's like, oh yeah, that was one of my favorite. Either for the tattoos or for this experience or the person or whatever. Something that you always remember. Like, oh yeah, that one. Well... It is, it is very often a combination of the person and the tattoo and the, and the day and the time. You know, you can be with four or five guys and get all fucking hammered and everybody's drunk. 
and the, the shop door is closed, and everybody tattoos the saint on him, or we all tattoo eat more pussy on each other, you know, and we have a, and that's a commemorated night. Those little party tattoos, the little Freddie Corbin, the temple dude tattoos. Or you're in the middle of the, in the fucking jungle and there's chicken running through the place and somebody is poking you with a rusty needle and uh, there's a story to each tattoo. And like, if you don't have a fucking story to your tattoo, that's very poor. I thought for a while about producing this thing called a tattoo passport. Where you have a passport and you can, and when you get a tattoo, you'll write in there where you got it, who did it, and where you like. And so you can use your passport and give it to your children. This is the reason why I got tattooed or to, to your grands. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, nice. Children. Because there should be an adventure in this thing. So, oh, you know, I got to do like an, uh, I don't know the guy's name, and he made this wonderful like infinity sign for me because infinity is. Get the fuck it's out infinite. Of here. Yeah, yeah. And then if infinity ain't enough, they put infinity and they put forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's more infinite. <laughs> yeah. and it's, or it becomes a feather and all these little birds are flying out of there. I, I, I said, okay, to the guy, said, That's it. No more fucking compasses or clocks. That's it. We don't do them anymore. You know, like, how many people want to get a fucking thing from Pinterest? For Christ's sake, forget it. You know, why would you want to get something somebody has already? Here is an opportunity to get something unique. Here is an opportunity. You go to a fucking tattoo you always admired, and you tell them to make something somebody else made. I always admired your work. Can you make this for me? What is this thing? Well, this is... Uh... So you always admired my work, and now you come and ask me to do somebody else's work? You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You work with Mario, Marco. You know, he's a, on his own, like, makes a very decent and very good tattoo. He deserves to make his tattoos and not people to come in and say, like, can you make me this tattoo? And they got something from Pinterest. They go to Bali and get the same shit. Everybody gets the same shit in Bali. And then it turns into the opposite. Yeah, know? and then they're here because, like, now we're about to, like, make a lifetime out of repairing shit which is bad what is it that you you if you would say tattooers today that are fairly new in the game or whatever that they, they some things they don't have figured out what what is the thing that you say they should hear the most what is that your advice to them? i think they should look around and travel around i mean your if you have been an apprentice for five years at the shop i think the next part of your apprenticeship is where you leave the shop and go to work with other people and learn stuff from other people. One of my favorite tattooers in the world, Eric Perfect in Philadelphia, you know, just because he has such a pure, old-fashioned style. You know, it's a really, you, know, you cannot go there for a clock and two roses in black and gray. No, he'll make you one. Uh, uh, yeah, he does stuff the way it's supposed my style, you know, some of these guys, man, you, I don't care if you have 122,000 fucking followers. Tattoo should last till 14 days after rigor mortis. I think they take a picture of it and, like, and, and then the tattoo is done. They don't care about like what happens after the healing process. To care more. Yeah. yeah, but they make them on position. All this craze that's to put on tattoos under the feet, on the inside of the hands, on the side of the fingers, tattooing shit on each other's face. Well, it's ridiculous that used to be jailhouse stuff, but that's fine. But these guys are no jailhouse guys at all. 
they can kick their way out of a wet fucking paper bag and they can pull the skin of a custard. Yeah. So like, <laughs> they're dangerous to themselves and to nobody else. Yeah. If you, in 1978, had a guy with a big fucking tattoo in his face, you know that means don't fuck with me. It's different now. Yeah. We're in Japan and we run into this Chicano, this complete fucking gangster. And it turned out to be a Japanese guy who was dressed up that way and is tattooed that way. He just thinks it's fashion. Fuck. So he's always, I hear a straight bag and he's, look, he's, is he Mexican? <laughs> he's a Japanese. And he couldn't speak no Spanish at all. He would have just come, orale, orale. <laughs> <laughs> and it, for him, it was a completely a fashion statement. Has heavy gangster uh, tattoos. You send that fucking kid to Los Angeles and send him into the hood, he wouldn't last than half an hour. There's a lot of people who wear feathers from a bird they are not. You get a couple of Russian prison camp tattoos because you think they're so fucking cool. You do not realize that those stars on the, on the knees are something you deserve. And if you gotta like come up to that situation and get into that situation one day, which they don't work. Man, I've seen, I used to hang out with hooligans back, back home when yeah. I was 16 or something, and I've seen those things going so wrong, right? Yeah, you know, even yeah. just for a scarf, you know? Yeah. If you would have a tattoo, you know, forget about it. You get in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, people. somebody will come and burn that out for you. Or, or Man, I've out seen people like... getting stabbed, getting beaten up, you yeah. know? Like, one of the guys that they used to tattoo me was a hooligan. Sometimes he would have, like, you know, bags with scarves and stuff, T-shirts, whatever, from other teams. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, yeah, war trophies. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. you went on there. Yeah, they, they, they went on the goal. It's head hunting. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Good, we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah, that was very nice. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for listening. I hope you had as much fun as I had recording this episode. Stay tuned for the release of the new ones. You can follow the updates on Instagram page, Tattoo Tales Podcast, and on my personal one, Steph Bastin. Share if you liked it, and remember that in September there will be the launch of my new project, the Tattoo Fun Club. I've selected over 200 artists, amongst the very best, to decorate Japanese paper fan, celebrating the old-timers that came before us and contributed to make tattooing what it is today. The artworks will be exhibited at the London Tattoo Convention, 27, 28, 29 September 2019 and auctioned online afterwards to raise money for kids' charity. You'll be able to participate worldwide to acquire the unique originals of Philip Liu, Freddie Corbin, Juan Puente, Timothy Oyer, and the list goes on and on. For details, check our Instagram page, Steph Bastian Presents. Have an awesome day.